news, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and Gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here, Lauren joining me as always, and we have a guest. It is Tuesday morning for the people who are listening, so you guys know on Tuesdays we usually have a guest. Today we are talking to Adam Taylor, who covers the Boston Celtics for a number of different places. Celtics blog, Green Envy podcast. Shout out to my guys at the Green Envy podcast. Yard Barker, Sports Kita, USA Today Sports. Literally anywhere you can talk about the Boston Celtics, Adam Taylor is probably popping up and talking about the Celtics. How are you doing, my friend? How is everything going? It's going well. It's going well. The Celtics are back in the wing column, so that usually has a direct correlation on how well my day is going. So it's going well. <laughs> Very relatable. So, so if I was if I was to have this interview right after the Orlando Magic game, it's this not would be going very well. different. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll get into we'll get into the in-season tournament a little bit later down the road. Um, but I, I guess just to kind of open things up, uh, and I think for, for, for recency's sake, I watched the Atlanta Hawks game. I also watched the Orlando Magic game, but we can maybe get into that later. But ultimately, I come away looking at the Celtics and thinking this is the best team in the Eastern Conference right now by a pretty wide margin. Uh, Milwaukee has looked sloppy in a lot of different ways. Philadelphia looks great. They do look great, uh, but I, I think there's still some, obviously, questions lingering with how they look in the postseason and whatnot. Boston seems the most ready, um, and if I had to pick a team to come out of the Eastern Conference right now, it would probably be the Boston Celtics. Now, that being said, it is one month into the season, so I don't want to jump to you know ju- jump into things that <laughs> quickly. Uh, how are you feeling after one month of basketball, one month of Celtics basketball? What is the temperature check with this team right now? Me personally, the temperature check is like a hundred degrees, dude. Like I'm really bullish on this team. The only concern I have is do not run into and I'm this is more of a joke than it is real, but at the same time, I genuinely have concerns about this. Do not run into the Orlando Magic in the first or second round, otherwise it's gonna be a really, really Man, tough they they love playing you guys. It's just, it's like, you know, everyone says that Boston kind of just has Philadelphia's number, right? They know how to guard Embiid. They know how to get him away from his spots and and so forth. I feel like Orlando has that with Boston and they follow that Miami Heat Mm -hmm. blueprint of just punching you in the face and really getting physical and being right up in your grill. The Celtics just really struggle to respond. So I am very bullish, but I do have concerns. Miami, now Orlando, there are teams out there that have a blueprint on how to beat this team. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a question. I'm curious, so kind of just given the Kristaps Porzingis sort of coverage crossover, if you will, I'm curious. I know a lot of people kind of raised question about, oh, Porzingis, you know, had this problem being number two to Luca, wherever you stand on that, and now he's with, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday, and people were kind of building a bit of a narrative there. I guess you watching them up close, where do you sort of sit on how he has adjusted to this new environment and how he's getting along with those guys? Yeah, so for me, all we can do is take what the players say at face value, right? We need to at least 
until they give you a reason not to believe them, that you believe them. And everything he's said so far has been, he loves being here. He's never had the type of spacing that he's playing with now. Defenses really struggle to send doubles at him because who are you, who are you Mm -hmm. doubling off from? Um, So he does sound really happy to be there. The way Missoula's got the team playing yeah. at the moment is, you know, Porzingis might be option two uh, in the first quarter. And then yeah. depending on how defense is set up, maybe he becomes your primary guy in the second and third. Maybe he's your fourth option in games where the matchup doesn't suit. I think he has the freedom to scale mm-hmm. his his production wherever it want, needs to go in that game. And because of that, I think it's keeping everybody happy because everybody has a chance to kind of shine a little bit for sure. Yeah, I think I think uh, the thing that I mean to your point about him maybe being option number two that pops up almost immediately when you see him. I love the playmaking between him and Jalen Brown. Just like the backdoor cuts, the off ball cutting, it's been so nice to see uh, Jalen Brown being just this. He's feasting as an off ball cutter in a lot of ways. I don't think that uh, Brown has had like the greatest season yet compared to the you know the last couple of years. I think it's taken a little bit for him to get adjusted. How have you felt Brown kind of adjusting to this new role of maybe being option 2A, 2B in this scenario with Porzingis? I mean, it's been it's been tough and it's been great at the same time, right? So last season, I caught a lot of um, heat. I wrote an article saying that Jalen Brown's role should be quote-unquote a play finisher. Don't take the creation away from him. And allow him to just become a primary scorer, whether that's off slashing, backdoors, cuts, spot ups, whatever. And I think that what we're you seeing got now heat is for that? oh man, so much. Like to the point where I actually migrated away from Twitter for months. Um horrible DMs. Wow, wow. Like it went it went on for weeks. Um it was crazy. Um I don't know why either. It was a very <laughs> fair article. I think we're seeing more of that now. <laughs> I think we're seeing more of that from him now where he is more in this play finishing role for a lack of a better term. Um, we are seeing some creation from him. We've, the last few games, one of Jalen Brown's biggest issues for me is his court vision is very tunnel focused. It's him, the rim, and if there's any other oh players around there, he's going to get an assist, right? but it's always one pass away. You're never going to see him really make that two, three passes away kind of play. So what we're seeing now is because of the Mm -hmm. spacing that's around him and the two-man game that's developing between him and Porzingis, his his assist-to-turnover ratio is slowly climbing because he's he's got easier Mm -hmm. one-pass-away options. And we saw that if you watched the Hawks game last night, there was a really good example. Um, The Hawks, they went into a pick-and-roll. The Hawks showed... Then they went into a second pick and roll. The Hawks blitzed. So he kicked out, got the ball back and drove. And when he drove, they collapsed four mm-hmm. onto JB. And he kind of faked the layup and then just kind of dished it off to the corner for Sam Hauser, which I'm pretty sure was like only the... Yeah, I've got the numbers oh, in front of me. Point. It was only his fourth assist to Sam Hauser all season for like why he's one of the best three-point <laughs> shooters in the league. Why are you not <laughs> kicking it out to this dude? Um... But I think he's growing. I think we're seeing the best version of Jalen Brown. And I think that the questions around his Mm -hmm. playmaking and his his processing speed is slight. They're being answered, but not in the way we expected them to be answered, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. 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 I, and kind of, I guess, expanding on that, obviously a lot of people talk about um, Jalen Brown and the Kristaps Porzingis connection and how that's opened things up. But something that I kind of want to get your perspective on is, and, and it sort of builds on, I guess, the first question that I'd had, but playing with Drew Holiday and Derek White, and obviously Derek White is not new to the scene, but having this, this elevated backcourt and just even more dimensions on offense, how do you feel like that has really elevated Jalen Brown specifically and also kind of sets things up for continuity potential, if you will, and kind of where they could head long-term and grow as a unit? Yeah, so for Jalen, it's taken away defensively first because this is a very defensive-minded um, backcourt. When you look at Drew, you look at Derek White. Sure. Jalen Brown has always been a defender. How can I put Like a theoretical defender, right? In theory, he should be mm-hmm. an elite guy. He's got the athleticism, the length, the fast-twitch muscles. He moves his feet well, can rotate well. Yeah. But he falls to sleep a lot. Like There's no other way. to You, you can't lie and say he's a good defender he's okay what's happening now is he's not being asked to be a right. point of attack guy anymore he's a rotational he's like i like to call them system defenders like he's, he's tasked with stop being a mm-hmm. wing stopper sometimes he might he'll operate in switches and he can stay in front of guys he's strong enough to guard up guard down fast enough to guard down so that the the, the new backcourt pairing has allowed him to kind of play a, a less featured role defensively, which is then allowing him to leak out on rebounds and be that kind of transition threat that he really should have been throughout most of his career. And then on offense, again, it's more being a play finisher. The ball's being taken out of his hands in terms of initial creation. Drew's creating. J- Jason Tatum's ability to process out of double teams has become exceptional. Um, and then Brown's just there to be that Absolutely. rip-through guy. So I feel like every the yeah. collective, the collectiveness of like Brown Tatum, sorry uh, Holiday Tatum and White, they're elevating Brown just by putting him in positions to just do what he does well, rather than do what what was needed yeah. of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with sense. you. I, I, I think there's. Um, it's funny because we're sort of we're maybe seeing Jalen Brown play the role that he's supposed to in this league. But I think that might offend some people because they're like, well, that maybe limits his ceiling as a player because you become a play finisher. And I'm actually I'm actually having the same discussion with Raptors fans about OG Ananobi right now because OG Ananobi, you know, he wants the uh, he wants the creation, right? He wants the on ball reps. But actually, the way to maximize him is maybe not giving him those creation and on ball reps. It's maximizing his catches like. Hey, yeah. off off a spot up shot like he's elite as a spot up shooter. I'm assuming the same thing applies to Jalen Brown in the way that he's such a great off ball mover on offense, a cutter, a guy who can, like you said, be a play finisher for you. Um, and I think defensively, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned he falls asleep off ball there <laughs> uh, in that Raptors game. There were multiple possessions where it was just like, oh. Pascal Siakam double team they help from the maybe the low man helps and then it's Jalen Brown that's kind of stuck trying to split the difference on the weak side and they took advantage of that a lot of times um and it was just it's just funny to see maybe this is the Jalen Brown that we want like long term in the playoffs in the postseason him playing this specific role is what is actually going to be ideal for him um, moving forward still is second in usage among the the Celtics like Tatum is at 30 percent on the year Jalen Brown is at 27 percent everybody else is 22 and under like he's still getting 
the reps, the off the touches that he necessarily needs, like all that stuff is still there. But just in terms of role definition, there's a little bit clearer of a role for where Jalen Brown is. Wanted to ask you about Jason Tatum, who I, I you mentioned the double teams. I think part of that is just how elite he's become as a post player. High post area has been absolutely dominating in that end. Uh, he's probably near the top of the league. Uh, last time I checked, he was near the top of the league when it came to efficiency in the post. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's maybe him adding some size, adding some strength? What has made him such a good post player this season for the Celtics? I don't think, think it's, it's the that, added space also, just another add I think the space has helped. They're running more actions to get him to the space. They're running like one of their primary ATOs is just a slice screen on the wing just to get him like going into the post. But I don't think it's that he's become a good mm-hmm. post player this year. I think he's just featuring that part of his game more this year. Like, there's been seasons where Celtics fans are like, man, Tatum's really good in the post. Why are we not putting him in the post more? Why isn't he, why is he settling for after dribble pull up threes? Um, and that's been an issue for Tatum, right? Like, uh, as a catch and shoot threat on the perimeter, he's uh, an elite shooter. As an after dribble shooter, he, he's bad. So, putting, and that's only on yeah. the perimeter. But put, putting him into the, to the post where he can face up and beat you off the dribble and drive, and he's strong enough to kind of dislodge you or take the contact on the drive. His mid-range jumper has always been an above-average jump shot, and then over the years he's refined that, found his spots where he likes to get to, and now it's a really high-level mid-range jumper. Uh, and when you start putting that together, and now and then you add the scoring gravity in where he can create out of that post up because he has the the court vision, the processing speed. Everything kind of like over the years is stacked up bit by bit on top. And now Sam Cassell's came into yeah. the team and Cassell gave a really good interview. I, I don't remember who it was with, otherwise I would credit them. But Cassell was like, I kind of said to Tatum, if you want to evolve your game, this is kind of the next step for you is learning how to be that post presence, learning how to give, you know, if you're playing five out and then you run an action to get Tatum into the post, you still got four options spacing the floor for you. Some off-ball actions are happening. Somebody's cutting. Two are watching you. So, you know, it's what is it? C-ball, C-man. And everyone's seeing ball, but no one's seeing who's cutting because everyone's like, damn, Jason Tatum's got the ball in the post. And it's just creating like, extra opportunities mm-hmm. for him. I just think that it was a natural progression for his game. And he's just being allowed to explore that progression and kind of build on that. Interesting. Um, I've got a question to kind of switch gears in a, in a way here. Something that I've kind of been monitoring from afar is Derek White and this contract extension situation. Um, just sort of given how things are lining up and how his numbers, again, there were questions on how is bringing Drew Holiday in going to affect uh, Derek White, his his not just his, his role, but his numbers, his minutes, all the things, and how will that then affect his contract extension uh, situation. Do you feel... Like, I mean, his numbers have not wavered at all. And, and obviously the Celtics are rolling. Do you feel like the money situation there and, and just anything around that is anything for concern for Celtics fans? I mean, there's always a concern, right? How much are the, the ownership team yeah. willing to pay in taxes? How much is Derek White right. willing to sacrifice in terms of dollars per year to remain with the Celtics? Where is right. Boston's ceiling compared to where White's floor is? How much wiggle room is there between the two? Sure. Um me personally, I think he's integral. Like I, I really believe that Derek White is such an important glue guy connected to this team. I, I, I like to joke with people and say like Derek White is what Austin Reeves wishes he was. 
Because if you look at the way Austin Reeves plays <laughs> as that connector, as that glue guy, it, it it's a very similar style of play, right? It's just Derek White is multiple yeah, levels above. Um, I would I like do everything we could to keep him. Whether or not that's viable, yeah, I don't know. Sure. And whether or not the Celtics would look to move on from Drew before they moved on from Derek, that's also another avenue you at least have to acknowledge is a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, well, because both of them, Definitely. you know, contracts coming up, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're about to get paid. I mean, I think they've looked very good together, mm-hmm. uh, especially defensively, point of attack. It's been as advertised. Um, but I guess, yeah, the contract, the, the long-term implications are here. I feel like, to be fair, though, to where the Celtics are at, you have to kind of forget about the long-term implications. Yeah. Because yeah. this is the year. This mm-hmm. is the year you're trying to win. You have every all your eggs are in the basket for this season. Um, and that can be good. That can be get bad. I mean, we can talk yeah. about this in July and say, hey, well, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions. Of course, who this is good. Pay to, you know, yeah. who cares? It doesn't yeah, matter. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. And pay and like pay up. And this is now a, a tax team. And you're OK with that because you're right. defending champions. Um, look. So far, they have, like I said at the start of this podcast, they've kept up. They've been as advertised. Number one in net rating. Uh, They're both top 10 in offense and defense. There's only three teams right now that are doing that. It's the Celtics. It's the Denver Nuggets. It's the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I just think, yeah, by the way, Oklahoma City Thunder, hell yeah, let's go. We're we're so right about our our predictions. Um, They're so fun. Yes, yeah, very fun. Anyways, uh, the Boston Celtics, though, I just think – it just seems so, the one thing I would say that kind of makes me a little bit wary offensively, and this is something that Gary Washburn was destroyed by Joe Mazzulla for. I'm sure you saw the little clip of him asking about the three point shot. <laughs> I I still have my questions about how reliant this team is on threes, um, and just the overall shot diet of hey, we are going to live and die by the three point shot. Uh, let me just double check where they are at in terms of they are second in three point attempts. They should be first. It's the Dallas Mavericks and the Boston Celtics. Look at that. It's the Dallas Mavericks, Mavericks and the Boston Celtics, one and two. <laughs> um, but yes, ultimately, they, they are near the top of the league in attempts. They are going to shoot the hell out of the ball every single night. Sometimes it takes them out of games. Sometimes it puts them into games. Um, and I think that's been equa- an equation of Tatum shooting the ball well this season, Porzingis shooting the ball well this season, Sam Hauser coming off the bench and shooting the ball well this season. Um, do you think they are too reliant on that, though? Do you do you have any concern? Do you feel the the concern that I am feeling for that? If you asked me you last season, yeah, for sure. If you asked me last season, the answer was yes. Um, unequivocally, yes. Okay. It, this season... Not so much. There's been games where this, like the, the basketball gods have just put a lid on the rim and the Celtics have switched away from that three-point heavy offense and fed Tatum in the post. They've drove to the rim, they've drew fouls, and they have developed that secondary offensive plan that wasn't present last season. Now, it's not a prevalent plan, but they yeah. do show aspects of that in a game-to-game basis with Tatum in the post with asking Brown to be that kind of catch and slash guy on the rip. Um, They do like to operate as a second chance points team in terms of offensive rebounds and putbacks. There is other options there for them. Now that doesn't mean that they won't just fall into old habits and start 
firing away threes when they're not falling. But there's more options this year, right? Like, I like to say the one thing with the Celtics is three-point struggles is contagious on this team. If one guy's having a bad night, everybody is having a bad night. I don't... Like, it honestly makes no sense to me. Interesting. Um, but you've added... <laughs> You added Svi Mikhailuk earlier this season, uh, what, during the summer, who is Sam Hauser without the the dunks and the defense, basically. Um, and the so, shooting. Let's be real. He he's okay. Speak, listen, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't stand for this. I can't stand for the Svi Mikhailuk propaganda. Really? I'm sorry. I saw it. I saw it firsthand. I, I don't know how he's been this season. I, I have to go back and look at the numbers. He's played like 37 I saw seconds. it firsthand. Yeah, the numbers aren't great. <laughs> he, but I'm a believer. Is, the numbers are not great. Paper tiger shooter. Okay, paper tiger shooter. <laughs> that is, so the, he's about as fake of a shooter as you can get in the NBA. I'm sorry, Steve. Wow. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the Raptors depended on this man to hit some shots, and he just could not hit any shots. Last or was it last season or the season before? Either way, <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. I can't. I can't stand. <laughs> I can't stand for the speed Mikhail Luke mentioned. This is not going to go down. I, I will so say you don't Peyton, like Peyton Peyton V Richard. as much as I. Oh, sorry. You yeah. don't like V as much as I don't like Dennis Schroeder. Is this what I'm getting from this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, see, yeah. So if we were to go back and forth right now and say, well, I could tell you Dennis Schroeder is, is putting up an incredible season so far for the Raptors, but you would be like, I disagree. There's no way. Um, the Raptors I, struggles I are because of Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> you know, you there know it what? is. There is, there is some. We, we probably don't want to get into it right now, but there is some <laughs> merit to, to that statement you just had. Because Oof. his usage is through the roof. His touches are mm-hmm. through the roof. He is commandeering the offense in a lot of different ways. And it's like, maybe that's not the best way to, to get this offense to go. Uh, not Raptors discussion right now. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up that Sveen Mikhailuk is a paper tiger when it comes to shooting. <laughs> uh, but this actually brings up something else that I wanted to bring up, Adam. The rotation and the depth, which was a concern going into this season. I brought up Sam Hauser, who has been good this year. I actually think... You know, he you can sort of lock him in as a seventh guy for the playoff rotation. So you have your top six. We all know the top six. And then you have seven being Hauser. You might have seven and a half with Peyton Pritchard, who can play some spot minutes for you here and there. How has it how has it developed through this month so far? And how do you think that kind of translates when it comes to April basketball, May basketball, June basketball? So, first of all, it's Summer League Jordan, not Peyton Pritchard. Summer League Jordan. That's who we've got. (laughs) Um, Okay, all right. I've got faith in Pritchard. I I really do. I I, I think he can be an above-average eighth man. I I do. Like your second guard off the bench, he can run an offense. Uh, Okay, he can run it reasonably well. He can stretch the floor back to the logo. He's crafty. He, he fights on defense. I'm very confident just knowing that even if his shot isn't there, he's going to fight and he's going to hustle and he's going to do all the little things that make that difference in the bigger yeah. picture. When you look beyond him, you've got O'Shea Brissett, who I'm lo- is the player I'm the lowest on in the rotation at the moment. Um, I've just, if you consistently smoke layups and you don't really rebound very well and you're not really a great defender. I don't know what you're doing with your basketball career. I really don't. God, um, I feel that. 
uh, I'm going the fact that he's Canadian right now. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to continue. Uh, There's another Canadian very... that I could make that statement about, but moving on. <laughs> Lamar Stevens is a single skill guy. So the thing is that the way Brad Stevens constructed this 8 through 15 were single skill specialists. Brissett and Stevens are single skill defensive specialists. Don't really bring much offensively. Svi, your favorite player in the world, is a shooting specialist. Um, <laughs> Luke Cornett. They used to call big... him Sfiji. They used to call him Sfiji in, in, <laughs> in Toronto because he was wet from, from three. He was never wet. It was dry. It was the Sahara Desert. Okay, anyway. Sorry. <laughs> oh All right. I'm Sahara sorry. This, is, this podcast has tur- took a turn for Speed Mikhailo <laughs> Slander. But oh, continue, Adam. He's catching Go strays ahead. everywhere, dude. <laughs> Um, <laughs> everywhere. The biggest conversation amongst Celtics fans is like Luke Cornett. Do you need to try and upgrade at that third big man position? Because outside of Cornett, yeah. you know, you're only going to run an eight man rotation in the playoffs, maybe nine if you want to go that far. And then that depth is, you know, I always like, I, I don't remember whose stand up it was. I think it's Dave Chappelle or Cat Williams. And like the rest of the depth is your like in case shit. You've got that depth in case shit happens, <laughs> and, and that's kind of how you right, build out right, that like yeah. nine to fifteen. Um, and you don't really expect them to be huge different make difference makers because there's guys in front of them that will slot into the primary rotation. You change your minutes, maybe right. your tenth guy becomes your eighth guy, and then he plays eight minutes a night, and you just have to be passable. So the biggest question at the moment for the Celtics is: Do you try and upgrade over Peyton Pritchard? Or do you try and upgrade over Luke Cornett? And you only really have the assets mm-hmm. to do one of those two things. Which one are you more comfortable kind of right. keeping? Um, personally, if Alex Caruso becomes available, you go get Alex Caruso and have the guard rotation from hell. You just unleash the free-headed hands yeah, and no just kidding. go. Um, or, it, like, you know, I don't really have an answer to what big man would be available other than the one guy I really I like... Before you go there, the one guy I like he is says Rashawn. Chris Boucher, I swear to God. I was going to say Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes? I, oh. Yeah. Oh, that look would at be this. somebody look I'd like. a little three way love triangle going on here. <laughs> oh, well, well, well. I would. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you look at that? Okay. I would certainly be interested in that. Yeah. Because uh, I, just I mean, I don't know brings... what the deal with. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I sorry. We're we're. I think there's a little bit of a there's delay. a bit it's of a lag. Good. Um. Okay. I, regardless, I I think I would say they need the front court depth more than the guard depth, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. I just think assurance for whenever, if ever, Porzingis goes down. Horford's obviously on the older side of things. There's that question of okay, you have those two guys, but outside of that. You know, Namias Keita last night was pretty good for the Celtics. Yeah. Are you going to rely on him to give you legit minutes? No. Maybe. I don't know. That, there's no. certainly an option. But, like, Rashawn Holmes uh, makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. I think that's a pretty good idea. Just mm-hmm. a guy who's, like, can create in the short role for you a little bit, has some size, hustle player, kind of makes sense. My guy that I thought of was Chris Boucher. I actually really thought Chris. I honestly. Did you hear I, me? Did you yeah, hear me say? I know he's, he's going to say Lawrence? Chris Boucher. I, I just, I've for, forever, I've thought Chris Boucher would make sense on the Celtics because, mm-hmm. you know, playing with the pace, playing with the space that they do, 
It's going to open up things for him as a cutter. He's an exceptional off-ball cutter. Uh, he obviously brings that like weak side rim protection. Because of the size that the Celtics already have, he doesn't need to necessarily get bullied in the middle by like the Embiid's and Jokic's of the world. I don't know. I kind of like that as a fit. I like Rashawn Holmes too. But ultimately, like the Celtics are positioned to make some kind of small yeah. tweak move um, at the deadline, whenever that is. And this is all because of yeah, Brent Williams. Yeah, I, I was going to – yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I was going to ask kind of similar question to the depth, and it sounds like maybe you sort of already answered it, but as far as a specific prototype, it sounds like you would prefer the front court depth move as opposed to the guard depth, um, unless it was Alex Caruso and that started to come together. But for something right. like the, the front court depth, what is like the ideal prototype? Maybe not even just Rashawn Holmes, but what are the big hitting I guess, uh, like specific areas when you talk about like the single skill specialists uh, and from a depth perspective, is there something that you would prioritize maybe more so than anything else? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's more about fitting in with the the construction of the roster, right? Rather than Mm -hmm. looking at what what skill one player brings, how do you slot in? What do you do to not only elevate everybody else, but to be elevated by everybody else? Mm -hmm. So... uh, they're missing a rim runner right now because Rob Williams obviously got traded to Portland. Finding somebody that could operate as mm-hmm. a rim runner would be an ideal prototype. I like the um, shout out to my boy Brendan Nunes covers the Kings because he sold me on Rashawn Holmes a few years yeah, back, and he's great. I've kind um, mm-hmm. Holmes kind of gives you as S said he's a short roll guy. He's a pick and roll creator that's got that little push yep. shot from mid range. It's not really going to clog the paint up. Yep because you're going to need guys driving there and the Celtics like to run smalls in that Donker spot the last like over the first month. So just somebody that's going to be able to create in that mid range to that perimeter or be a rim protecting rim runner, both of which are very valuable and don't mm-hmm. project to be available right now. Otherwise just give me DeMarcus cousins and we'll, we'll right. forget anything else ever happened. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Fair yeah, enough. I, I think the Celtics are in a good spot um all around. I mean, look, they're they're the best team in the East right now. They're they're number one in in the Eastern Conference, but I just think uh they're making my championship Celtics pick look good, to be honest with you. I think I think t- if I were to pick again today, uh, a month in, I would still probably double down on that take and say the Celtics mm-hmm. will win the championship. Um I just think there's there's just a lot to like about their fluidity lineups wise. And I know people will bring up the depth and them only having, you know, six guys, but those six guys provide you a level of fluidity, right? You can go bigger with Horford and Porzingis. You can go smaller and have one of those guys out there and have obviously Drew and and Derek White kind of hounding people at the point of attack. There's a level of flexibility there that just didn't exist last season with Boston, I feel, uh, or maybe it wasn't as good as it was this year. Uh, and I think that's something that's popped out to me. What do you think is, I guess to sum this up, because to be honest with you, everything is going gravy right now for the Celtics for the most part. It's all looked really, really good. Is there anything people should be concerned about? Because the end goal for this team is a championship. You know, anything short of that, I think would be I don't want to say disappointing, but I think anything short of like a finals run would be disappointing for this team. Um, is there anything people should be concerned about when you consider June basketball? Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm always concerned when there's a team with this much top-end talent. 
Like that's always a concern mm. for me. It's very easy to ev- for everyone to be on the same page three, four, five weeks into the season. How does everybody feel about their yeah. role six months down the line? Keeping everybody on that same page, pulling for the same direction is in- like we've seen the Celtics be in this position before during that Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Tatum and Brown season and everything kind of collapsed. It crumbled because people didn't want to accept their roles. So that is definitely, we haven't seen any inkling of that. There's no sign of that being a problem, but it's definitely a concern I've had and a concern I will just carry with me in the background. In terms of on-court production, I think it's very much having a secondary defensive plan. Like at the minute you're running a switch one through four with a five in drop and that's it. That's all you have. Like you don't, you don't really want mm-hmm. Paul Zingas guarding on the perimeter. Al Horford doesn't have the foot speed to do that consistently at this age. Luke Cornett would just get mm-hmm. cooked left, right and center. Um, finding a way like right. we want a lot of Celtics fans wanted to see some zone looks. Because that you know the zone has been cooking teams recently. That you can get creative with it for a few possessions, just to mess up rhythms and stuff. And I would, I was personally right. hoping we'd see that be implemented more now, so that it was in the repository in the playbook once we got to the postseason. And you mm-hmm. do need to start being more scheming, more devious in your play calls and the way you look to change rhythms. That would be one concern is it's very much this is how we play defense and this is how we play defense. Like there's no fluidity there. Right. I I actually this is this brings up something and I guess we can we can kind of touch on this. Um the Celtics have and Joe Mazzula has been sort of unconventional with his matchups a little bit to start this season. Uh, there was one game, I think it was the Sixers game. Yeah, it was the Sixers game where he threw Drew Holiday on Joel Embiid for a little bit there to start the game. Uh, he's he's asked Drew Holiday to guard some of those bigger guys more often than not. But they're like unconventional with some of their matchups, right? Defensively, they're looking to switch things up a little bit more. Does that play into maybe some of the fluidity stuff that you were mentioning just now? Yeah, maybe. I mean, the the concept's great, right? You have Drew guarding a big, you run a pick and roll. Now the big is being like the switch actually fixes the matchup it creates a, a normal matchup. Right. Right. Um, so that's that's great. And that is very nuanced, very clever. Um, for anyone that's followed the Celtics, Joe Mazzula was actually the guy that um, reportedly in- initiated the Rob Williams as your weak side Roma back when Ime Udoka was head coach. That was like a Joe Mazzula implementation. Oh, wow. okay. um, but what, I, like, and that works, right? But what happens when you're trying to just throw a team out of rhythm, like having like peculiar matchups that punish switches that actually encourage teams not to switch. That's great. And that's going to make you think twice, but it's not going to throw you out of rhythm to like, to the length that like when the Miami heat go to a two, three zone and teams are like three or four possessions until they figure things out. That doesn't really happen when you go small on big, you're just encouraging the, the 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 entry pass or you are encouraging the pick and roll you're encouraging them to go away from their initial play designs but it's still very much you can read and react to that and you can figure that out on the fly zone is more like okay yeah. so everything we've been running for the past 15 minutes no longer works we need to work on some zone entry passing and that takes three or four possessions and that's kind of where i'm at just to implement something that will just 
slow you down for two, three minutes in the fourth or in the third and allow you to kind of pad that lead or claw your way back into a game. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I, so kind of like looking ahead a little bit and apart from the Orlando magic, uh, Orlando magic, who is your, your least favorite playoff matchup and who is again, being a little jumping ahead a lot here. Who's your ideal f- potential finals matchup? Okay, least favorite would be Miami, just because obvious reasons. Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm a yeah, huge yeah. Eric Spolstra guy. Like, I think he's so good, and obviously, I'm nowhere near the only person yes. that yeah. believes that. Um, I do worry about Miami a lot. M- ideal matchup with the West, it's got to be the Lakers, right? Like, as a Celtics guy, like seeing LeBron James losing the Thank NBA you. Finals and it be Jason Tatum <laughs> that scores the winning bucket. Like, <laughs> Like that that's a dream a come true. Yeah, and a dunk on him, that'd be great. <laughs> um Yeah, so the Lakers Gosh, would be my ideal matchup. Derek White can see his okay, um, like see his son. You know, Austin Reeves. Derek White can be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take yeah, yeah. Score. Austin Reeves, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I, maybe I, get him to maybe get him hey, be like, Hey, I'll 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 train you in the summer. Don't worry, Austin. Come come <laughs> hang. Come hang. Well, it is one of my um, favorite like, nicknames, right? Hillbilly Kobe. That's like one of my favorite nicknames in the NBA. <laughs> Apparently he hates it. Apparently I, I, he makes me like it imagine. more. Now I like it more. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I I could see. Uh, hey, didn't I say uh, Celtics Lakers final? Isn't that what I called on the? You pod? might have. You might have. I believe you might have. I don't know. So maybe your we maybe your wish them. comes true. Maybe your wish comes true, Adam. I don't know. They have um, to win for it to be. Yeah, I look. True. Wait, I'm actually curious. What would be your least favorite matchup in the West? What Probably the, the Clippers. Oh, okay. I just think that they match up really well That's in terms of they've got two elite guards. Boston have two elite guards. They have two elite wings. Boston has two elite wings. They've got Zubac, who right. is very good in drop defense. The Celtics have Paul Zingas, who is yep. very good attacking you know, I just think they match up quite well. Um, and yeah, I don't want no fair. part of a Joe Missoula Ty Lu matchup because Ty Lu's going to run circles around him. <laughs> hey, Joe Missoula's been good this year, man. I, he's he has, still, but he's not Ty Challenges up 30 points. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. Um, it, it's. It's fun, man. I, it's I've caught a lot of Celtics games to start this year. They look better than they did. I, in my opinion, they've looked better than they have over the last couple of seasons. Um, yeah. Just again, it comes back to that fluidity for me. It comes back to the dynamism. I think Jason Tatum has elevated his game even more. Um, you mentioned the playmaking. I think he has fine tuned his playmaking even more, even though it might not come count in the the raw numbers you know he's only averaging what four or five assists right now but ultimately it seems like his playmaking has popped so much more this year brown feels like he's suiting into a better role porzingis has fit in perfectly with this team obviously the holiday and Derek white stuff has been awesome everything has been gravy for the boston celtics so far this year um adam before we head out before we do anything do you have anything you got going on anything you want to plug anything you want to share for the audience, the beautiful audience listening to this podcast. Not really. First of all, thank you very much for having me. This is a blast. Um, I was really like touched when you guys reached out. So thank you very much. Um, 
if you are a Celtics fan or you like to keep up with how Celtics games are going, just check out um, Celtics blog the day after games, usually around 9 a.m. Eastern. And I'll have like a 10 things that stuck out to me where we'll look at schemes and highlights or silly things like Tatum is Tatuming. Like that's a genuine, genuine takeaway I used today. Tatum was Tatuming. Um, so I'll try and keep it fun, but that's one that I really enjoy doing. So if, that'll be the one that I'd promote. And check out the Green with Envy podcast because we're crushing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorite Celtics pods. In fact, my only favorite Celtics pod. The other ones probably don't like me very much. So appreciate you, Adam. Uh, as always, uh, listen, thank you very much for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, do the liking, subscribing, and rating and things that you guys usually do. Uh, from Adam, from Lauren, from myself, we will see you guys later. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.